morning and welcome to the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly grateful for everyone coming on to the show right now. Hope that we're able to say something that will edify your souls and will stir you up on this fantastic Wednesday morning here on the East Coast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to drop down in that comment box below and hit us up with any questions, comments, or concerns that you may have over the course of the show. Um, and again, we just ask that you just keep it classy so that way we don't get shadow banned. Um, but we're certainly grateful for each and every one of you who has um, who is um, joining us right now and hope that you stick around uh, for uh, what we have to say to you on today. Uh, um, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Tarn Wells' song, Crazy About You, and how some radio, um, some radio programmers decided that the show was that the song was not theologically sound, and as a result, won't play that song on the radio. And we're going to talk about the song, the lyrics, and whether we think the song is theologically sound or not. In our sanctification session, we're going to be talking about how sometimes we can want things in our relationships to be so perfect um, that we think that the smallest hiccup is it means disaster down the road, and how. Uh, we choose our partners not to have a perfect relationship, but someone that we can share life with. And so we get into details about that. In our Something Praiseworthy session, we're going to talk about Tyreek Hill and how he paid uh, the, the rest of a photographer's salary after the photographer, the photographer got suspended. Um, and so uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, but if, but first, we're going to be talking about Shadows of the Cross, continuing our series there, as we look in the book of Hebrews, looking at how Jesus is the epitome of everything in the Old Testament that the Old Testament prophesied about. And so we're going to continue our journey in the book of Hebrews. And so we're just thankful, again, for you guys coming on board. I see we got somebody that's all, all the way on the West Coast at 3 a.m. Um, watching the show right now. So we're grateful that you're here. Please stick around, Miss Lexi. Um, well, because we definitely have something um, um, fantastic to say, and hopefully it'll be able to stir you up um, on this morning. We're going to start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our word for this morning. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you saying thank you for another blessed day in your presence. We're thankful, God, that you think it not robbery for us to be able to worship you in spirit and truth. Uh, Lord God, we're thankful for this show. We lift it up to you right now. Let it be none of me and all of you. Every word that's said, every prayer that's prayed, um... Every comment that's down in the comment box, we ask, Lord God, that you just you just saturated with your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your kindness, your mercy, your gentleness, Lord God. Uh, we ask that you know this 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 show just be again a testament to who you are and a testament to your supremacy, a testament to your love, a testament to your grace. And Lord God, may we say something on today that will stir up someone's soul to worship you in both duty and delight. Lord God, may it edify the believers, may it um, um, create curiosity in the unbelievers, so that we may all grow to be more like you in every way, shape, or form. And we thank your son, Jesus Christ, who made all this possible by living the life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserved, rising again with all power, ascending into heaven, and soon to come back again. Lord God, and in doing so, credited his righteousness to us, that we may become, become, be called the sons and daughters of God, that we may be uh, called your children, may be called joint heirs, may be called the peculiar people, the royal priesthood upon repentance and belief. And Lord God, we thank you for all of this and more, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, again, we're continuing our series um, in uh, the book of Hebrews, The Shadows of the Cross, uh, we've talked extensively about how 
um, Jesus is the epitome of everything that the Old Testament testified to. Every single thing. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is pointing to Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, the, the, um, the author of Hebrews is showing how everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. And so we as the people of God, we can revel in and, be, and delight ourselves in the fact that um, everything in the word is about Christ. We talked about how he is the greatest messenger. That, you know, all the angels and all the Old Testament prophets were all messengers of God. And Jesus is the ultimate messenger of God who we should be listening to and paying attention to in everything that we say and do. We also learn that he's the greater Moses. That as Moses it ushered... Um, um, the, the Israelite nation out of Egypt and, 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 and helping them get to the promised land and Joshua helped in, in the end conquer the promised land Christ has conquered our promised land by, uh, by giving us the new heavens and the new earth that we're looking forward to and ushering us into peace with God so that we can have eternal peace with God that we can that we now have um, that the bridge has been that the bridge has been get um, that the bridge has been built um, between death and life and that we are walking on that bridge that we've walked on that bridge and been transferred from the kingdom of kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and so we now have entered into that eternal rest with God um, and in doing so we're now you know living a life for God in preparation for the life to come uh, we talked about the fact that he's our great high priest that he is the one who, you know, that we can give all our cares to, that we can give all our issues, all our problems, all our struggles um, with, all, all our struggles to, because one, he reigns supreme on the throne, having um, been obedient to the point of death of a cross. He's now been given the name um, above every name that every knee shall bow to and every tongue shall confess to. And he lived a life and can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted at every point. Uh, but yet without sin. So he understands us in a way that no one else in the world can. And so we can bow down to him. We can talk to him. We can we, we can sup with him. We can, you know, tell him, hey, these are my issues, my hangups, my problems, and all that. And he knows our every weakness. Hashtag take it to the Lord in prayer. And so he is our great high priest. That we don't have to go to the pastor, we don't have to go to the bishop, we don't have to, you know, put up, you know, we don't have to put on alms, or we don't have to, um, you know, um, uh, sacrifice goats and rams and all that in order to get a prayer through. We can pray right here, right now, if we need him, at any given time, any given moment, any given place. You don't have to do any particular rituals. You can call on him in your spirit, for the Holy Spirit prays the prayers that we sometimes don't even know what to pray. Sometimes all we can do is moan, and the Holy Spirit is interpreting those moans um, for the sake of for for God's sake, and allowing us to uh, uh, to 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 be to have our lives prayed over through the Spirit. So, having said all of that, we're entering into uh, we're entering into the latter part of chapter five of um, the book of Hebrews, and in this moment, he presses pause to say something to us. To say something to the people that he's writing to as it relates to the, the remainder of what he's talking about throughout the book of Hebrews when it comes to us being able to see who Jesus is through the Old Testament. He says in verse number 9 of chapter 5, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation, him being Christ, to all who obey him 
being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is the first time, um, and then make sure I'm, I'm saying this, make sure I'm doing this right, because I don't want to be lying. Um, yes, okay. So this is the first time that he mentions the name Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is an Old Testament prophet um, whom Abraham spoke to after he had um, um, conquered a particular um, um, army and um, was able to take some spoils away. Um, Melchizedek was a high priest, the king of Salem, in that time in the book of Genesis. Now, before we can talk about Melchizedek and what all that means, though, the author of Hebrews presses pause himself. He says, going back to the, um, verse 9 again, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, talking about Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. We need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. One second. There we go. Um, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish, uh, to distinguish, um, to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. To restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to uh, holding him up to contempt, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who for whose sake it is cultivated receive a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to be being cursed and is in its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the, and the love that you have shown for his name in the, service, in the serving of saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, what is he saying? Many of us as the believers in God, our faith is super duper ultra shallow. Super duper ultra shallow. Um, and I knew this was going to happen. This is why. All right. Give me a second, y'all. Give me a second. 
Ooh, I can't wait till the doggone internet get here. Lord have mercy. Okay. Um, so, um, again, what God is saying to us in light of the, in light of the passage is that a lot of us, our faith is super duper ultra shallow. It's super duper ultra shallow. So much so that for some of us, we barely know the principles of salvation, of sanctification, of forgiveness, of sins, resurrection of the dead, where we're going once 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 the um the once the um everything is said and done. We barely know, barely have an understanding of our own Bible, our own scriptures. Our faith is so shallow that we are prone to listening to anybody who makes a whole lot of sense, can speak Christianese, but are so skewed in their faith when it comes to the things that they're talking about, the things that they preach about, the things that they teach. Our, our faith can sometimes be so shallow that we have to be told over and over and over and over again what it means to be a believer, what it means to be saved, what it means to be the distinction between salvation and sanctification. We're constantly having to be told and taught and retaught over and over and over again the same basic principles as if we don't know them. I know someone who constantly... Every about six or seven months is saying, I'm rededicating myself to the Lord. I'm rededicating myself to the Lord. You know, I, I'm rededicating myself to the Lord. I made a mistake and I'm rededicating myself to the Lord. And I'm rededicating myself to the Lord. It's like, how many rededications do you need? How many rededications are you seeking after? Like, how many times do you have to rededicate yourself to the Lord? Like, has your, is your faith walk with God so shallow that you, you, the, you feel that worldly grief? That leads to death compared to the godly grief that's supposed to lead to um, a salvation without regret. Like, how many times are you going to rededicate yourself to the Lord? You know, is the rededication to the Lord just you feeling guilty for what you did, having fallen so far to where I got to clean myself up, I got to make myself holy, I got to make myself righteous, rather than reveling in the righteousness of God, reveling in the Spirit of God reveling in the Holy Spirit that resides in us as believers. Again, for a lot of us, we don't even know how to get saved. For real. We think, as the old songwriter said, I gotta clean up what I messed up and start my life over again. We ain't cleaning up nothing. That's not salvation. But for some of us, that's what salvation is. I gotta do the work. I gotta clean myself up. I got to make myself holy. I got to make myself righteous. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who know I can't get myself in, but their but they're, but they're walk with God is so, um, so shallow in that, that they believe that I can do whatever I want to do because God forgives 70 times 7 a day. And he knows I'm not perfect and he knows I'm not holy and he knows that I'm, you know, that I'm human. And the same, same principle applies. No, yes, God will save you. God will redeem you. God will, you know, pull you out of the darkness. But it's not so that you can keep going back to the darkness like a dog goes back to its vomit. 
No, that's not what we're that's not what we're here to do. If you are saved, God is then walking with us through the process of sanctification. It's still God's work, but there's work that we are participating in, active participants in, when it comes to our faith walk. The writer of Hebrews is saying to us, "I want to explain to you how Christ is the a priest after the order of Melchizedek, but because your faith is so shallow." Some of y'all's faith is so shallow, I can't talk to y'all about how Jesus is a shadow of, I'm sorry, how Melchizedek is a shadow of Jesus because you're still struggling on what it means to be saved. You're struggling on what it means to be sanctified. You're struggling on what it, on where we're going in the life to come. Some of us, for example, believe that we're going to have wings and going to be flying like angels in, uh, when we get to heaven, when that is not what heaven is going to be like for us. Some of us think that we're going to be living in, the living in the clouds. No, we're not. We're going to be right here on a purified earth. But some, but again, some of us, we have listened to all these other people and all these other things and watch TV and, and, and we feel like, you know, grandma's watching over us with her two wings. And it's like, bruh, no, scripture says she's asleep. Sorry to tell you. No, she's not watching over you like you think she is. She's asleep. We're all going to wake up and rise one day. And when that happens, he's going to usher us into the new heavens and the new earth. But again, our faith walk is so shallow, we don't know. And that's basic stuff. You see what I'm saying? And so he says in the book of, he says in the book of Hebrews, you know, he says, going back again to verse number 11 in chapter 5, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Some of us have been in our faith walk for, for a very long time. And yet our faith walk is super shallow. Now, does this mean that you're not in the kingdom? No, it doesn't. Let me let, let me be clear. One of the principles. Your faith walk can be shallow. And you still be in the kingdom. Again, this 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 Bible. This ain't me. This Bible. You know, some people's faith walk is super duper shallow. But they are still in the kingdom. Because being a part of the kingdom is denouncing all of the gods and God is uppermost in affections, allegiance, and attention and belief is saying that everything that he says I am, everything that he says I'm not, everything that he says he is, everything he says he's not, I'm in 100% you know, agreement with and I'm rocking with him. And he, you know, he is the living, the living, true and living God. God on the cross died for my sins, rose again, forgave me for my sins. You know, I'm repenting and believing in him. That's, that's the ticket punched what we choose to do with that is on God and us we can either take what he's given us and multiply it or take what he's given us and sit on it and only God can judge that space so again it's not to say that you have to have great faith and gotta know all 66 books like the back of your hand in order to be in the kingdom that's not what this is. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying, 
is that there are some things in these scriptures that God wants to show us, that God wants to reveal to us. But if we're still stuck on the elementary principles of salvation, the elementary principles of sanctification, we're still confused about those things, it's going to be hard for us to understand a principle like how Christ is the, um, is, I'm sorry, how Melchizedek is a shadow of Jesus. How Melchizedek is a shadow of Jesus. How messengers from God, the, the angels and the prophets, are shadows of Christ. How Moses is a shadow of Christ. How Daniel in the lion's den is a shadow of Christ. How Abraham and him sacrificing his son, um, about to sacrifice his son Isaac, is a shadow of Jesus. How um, Joshua conquering the promised land is a shadow of Jesus. How David is a shadow of Jesus. How Isaiah is a shadow of Jesus. Ezekiel, Jonah is a shadow of all these different people in the Old Testament and all the different stories of the Old Testament, none of them are about us in a vacuum. All of them are a pointer to Jesus. All of them are pointing to the Savior. And what he tells us in these scriptures is that we, as the people of God, we must be mindful and careful that we are not... Um, we are not living such a shallow faith walk of, of, of God that we're missing out on the depths that God wants to show us. Now, I'm not saying that we got to become teachers or that we, you know, try to build, you know, platforms and try to, you know, um, you know, become pastors or anything like that. But there are things that God wants to reveal to you and things that he wants to reveal to me. And the things that he wants to reveal to us are freely given by him. As the scripture says, ask and the door and it shall be given. Knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and ye shall find. For if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Holy Spirit be given to us by God if we freely ask? The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal truth to us, to call things to remembrance, to show us the way, show us the path of righteousness, show us the path of peace, show us the deeper depths of revelation that he wishes for us to know, to interpret these scriptures for us so that we can understand God in such a deep and intimate way. It's the Holy Spirit's task, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs. And God wants us to know more about him to, the, to revel in the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding of God. To dig deep into our faith. To understand so much more about him than we could ever realize. So the challenge for us today is how, how important is it for us to go deep with the Lord? He tells us, starting at, verse, at chapter 6, verse 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, what, he, he, what he's not saying is that we need to graduate from the gospel. That is not what the author is saying here. Because, again, the gospel is everything. It's the A through Z of our faith. So in this 
this is disclaimer out there. He is not saying to graduate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all that we preach. So we're not preaching some new thing, some new, you know, some new idea and saying that it's God breathed, you know, using our finite thinking, you know, to try to, you know, say that God is giving us a new revelation. It's the same timeless revelation. It's just new to us because of when he gives it to us. But it's not new. It's all it's all been throughout these scriptures. So he's not saying let's graduate from the gospel. But what he's saying is there are depths of this gospel that we have yet to tap into because we are still stuck on the principles of salvation and sanctification and the resurrection of the dead, which he gets into here. He says, again, let us therefore leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This we do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. What he's saying to us is that uh, what he's saying to us is that if we are not careful, if we're not careful, often often is the case that we'll find ourselves um, being in um, being um, in being in violation of of the of the word. In so much that um, if we're not careful and we are not growing in our faith then it may show that we either, again, have a very shallow faith or that we don't have faith at all. And all the preaching and the teaching that we're doing is further hardening the heart of man, hardening our souls away from the Holy, from, from the Holy Spirit and hardening away from the God. From God. The, um, the scripture tells us that, you know, once God has saved us, our heart is it's near impossible because again I'm not gonna put it I'm not gonna say anything that God can or can't do it's near impossible for a person who is saved to be taken out of the hands of God what God has what God is within God's hands no one can take away the only person who can take you away from his hand is God himself once you're in the kingdom you're in the kingdom and so what he tells us is that we can preach and teach all day if your heart is hardened away from God, it's heart is hardened away from God. And you can have tasted and seen that he's good, but then fall away. And if so, then all the preaching and the teaching that we're doing may not be effective in so much that God has to get into that ground and blow that ground up so that we can then receive God and grow in God. Um... In the book of Matthew, chapter, I believe it's in Matthew 13. 
and it is. He tells us about the parable of the four soils. In the, par in the parable of the four soils, he says that there are four different types of grounds that the gospel is being thrown upon. And the only way for that ground to become good ground is that the farmer has to till the earth, has to break that ground up and make it viable again. And so it's not impossible for anyone in this world to, um, to it's not impossible for anyone to, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God has to break that ground up so the seed of the gospel can grow. As he says um, as, um, in verse number 8 of chapter 6, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end to being burned. Near impossible. It is near to being cursed, but God can get in that ground and till that earth and break that ground up in such a way that you are now able to cultivate and, and have a strong, bona fide relationship with him. I tell y'all uh, again uh, a lot of times about the story of the ground uh, whenever we moved from one place to another um, and the ground would sometimes be completely just worthless, couldn't grow half of anything on it. And, for, and we just, you know, start taking care of the ground, start taking care of the earth, and slowly but surely, you know, things start to grow because we're taking care of the ground. God is the same way with us. He tills the ground to break it apart so that the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ can bloom forth in our hearts. All of us had hearts that were hardened from God at one point or another. And it took God taking a stick of dynamite in some of us, sticking it into our hearts and blowing those hearts up to remove the heart of stone and transfer a heart of flesh that can then receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we thank God that he thought it not robbery to do that for us so that we can grow in him, repenting and believing in him, being saved by him, being sanctified from one degree of glory to the next by him. So he says... Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, that things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work um, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he says to us, as the believers of God, that as we're growing in our faith, we should be so sure, standing on a sure foundation, a full assurance of hope, standing on a pure, a pure and strong, a strong foundation, and standing on that foundation, growing in our faith. It's, it should not be enough for us to stand on the foundation. For some people in faith, though, that's all that they want. They just want to stand on the foundation. It's good. It's, it's enough for them just to be saved. And, again, thank God. Thank God. But there is more that God wants to share with you there's more that God wants to show you. There's more that God wants to reveal to you 
than just salvation. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know, you know, where he is in the scriptures. He wants you to know how he operates. He wants you to, to, to be involved in the work of salvation and the work of sanctification, um, to be an active participant in, the, in, in, in that process and sharing the gospel and sharing the word with others um, in both word and deed. He, he, he desires and, and longs to have a connection with his people, to connect with you, to connect with me, to connect with all of us. And as such, God is saying to us today that we have this great God that wants us to grow deeper with him. So I challenge us as believers today, do not be stuck on salvation and sanctification to where you're going back again and saying, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be sanctified? Where are we going to heaven? Like, what, what's going to happen when we get there? Let us not be stuck on these elementary principles of our faith. Let us be assured in those principles. Let us be sure of our salvation. Sure of our sanctification. Sure of where we're going in the life to come. Sure of what God has us purposed to do. Let us not remain stagnant in those areas because those, again, are the elementary principles of Christ that we should be well on into maturity for some of us. Some of us, we've been, in, we've been, we've been churching for about 50 years and still stuck on what salvation and what sanctification. Still stuck on we're going to have two wings and fly away when we get to heaven. And that ain't got nothing to do with that. That's not, we are not going to become angels. Like, we're still stuck on these elementary principles of our faith when God wants to show us so much more. So much more. Just like the author of Hebrews says, so there's this dude in the Old Testament named, named Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem. Jesus is... Um, it, it, I keep saying it that way, but it's not the way it's, I want to say it. Melchizedek is a shadow of Jesus. But I can't tell you that, some of y'all, because y'all still stuck on salvation and sanctification. We need to move on from that. I can't explain, I can't explain Melchizedek to you if you're still stuck on salvation and sanctification. Like, we need to move on from that because I want to show you something. But in order for me to show it to you, we can't keep talking about salvation and sanctification. Like, we need to move on from that. Because in order for you to understand how Melchizedek is a shadow of Jesus, you got to understand who Jesus is and what he did for us. Died on the cross and rose again. You know, and all this other stuff that I've been telling you, I can't, I, I can't keep, I can't tell you what I want to tell you if we stuck on the basic stuff. And so, again... The book of he the, the author of Hebrews is showing us that we can sometimes be so stagnant in our faith walk that there are things that God wants to show us that we'll never understand because we still don't have the basic principles down. And so this is a challenge for us as believers that if we find ourselves 
not growing in our faith. Take that to the altar. Take that to God. Go to the high priest in Jesus Christ and ask for growth. Ask to be shown some things. Ask for God to reveal himself to you through his word, through meditation, through your prayers, through your, um, you know, through, through your devotions, through your devotion time, you know, in worship, corporately as well as individually, you know, in your fellowship with your, with your brothers and sisters. Ask him to show you something, to reveal something to you, to show you who he is and what he has done and to show himself throughout the course of scriptures. For again, God longs to be to have an intimate relationship with us to where we are getting to know him and the and his depths. We'll never exhaust knowing Jesus. We'll never exhaust knowing God. But we got to move on from salvation and move on from sanctification. And so again, for the believers, let us move on to maturity. For the unbelievers, let's talk about salvation and sanctification. Let's talk about it. For again, you know, if you ain't a believer, then we got to start from the very beginning. If you are, but if you are a believer, you know, let us move on from salvation and sanctification. We ought to be past that by now. So again, you find yourself in a place where you are an unbeliever and not believing in Jesus and not believe and, and you and you have questions and concerns about it, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation about who Christ is, what he's done, what he's accomplished, what that means. Let's talk about those basic principles. But if you are a believer, let us move on from the elementary principles. Because there are some things God wants to show you beyond salvation and sanctification. Beyond what we're gonna be, what we're gonna be doing when we get to heaven. Beyond, you know, um, you know what my purpose is. We should be moving beyond that by now. So again, we say all this to say, if you are, if you are a believer, to so let's move on to understand the depths of God in your personal walk with Him. Ask for the depths. If you're an unbeliever, let's talk about some basic principles. But if you are a believer, let's talk about how we're going to move on from these basic principles. Again, we're not moving on from the gospel. We're just moving on from the basic principles of salvation and sanctification so that God can show us the depths of who he is. Jared, Jared Wilson um wrote a book called Gospel Deeps. And he said it like this. A diamond has multiple faces, multiple facets that make it a diamond. The gospel is like a diamond in that if you turn the diamond, you can see a different face. So every time you examine the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's another facet of it 
that you never would anticipate seeing. So we can never exhaust the the multifaceted gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are so many things that he wants to show you. So many things that he wants you to see. But will you allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see them? Or are you simply satisfied with just tell me more about salvation for the 9,000th time? Tell me about sanctification for the 9,000th time when there's something deeper that God wants to show you beyond the elementary, elementary principles of our faith. So again, let us therefore leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity for the glory of God, not the glory of self, not to gain heady knowledge and to know everything and to know more than most people, but so that we can be mature in our faith. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful for the 406 likes that we received thus far. Thank you for every like, every comment, every follow, every share. If you missed any part of this message or would like to listen to past episodes, you can go right now to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast, um, and listen to every episode from inception to now. If you have any comments or any questions that you would like to ask, feel free to drop down in that comment box below, and at the end of the show, we will be more than happy to answer any questions that have come up um, throughout the course of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about Torrin Wells' new song, Crazy About You, and how some people believe that it is um, theologically in error, and we're going to decide for ourselves whether or not the song is in error or not. Uh, we'll be right back in just a moment.
watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly, again, grateful for the 406 likes that we've received thus far. Definitely keep those likes coming if you so desire. Uh, right now, uh, we're entering our What Would Jesus Say segment. Torrin Wells um, has been under fire over the past uh, week or so after his song Crazy About You um, was basically banned by a lot of... Um, Christian radio stations um, because they said that his lyrics were um, theologically unsound. Um, the song Crazy About You um, came out in 2022 um, on his on his uh, album Joy in the Morning um, and he recently um, released that song out to the public um, in terms of it being a single on his on on his uh, a single for his album and um, some of the lyrics um, got you know, flagged uh, by some people, and he and they basically said, I, "We don't feel like we can play this song on the radio station because um, we feel like these lyrics are not, um, you know, sound doctrine in the scriptures." In particular, there are two lyrics that he says in the um in, in the song that are under fire. He says in the song, uh, "He's never been mad at you; he's only been madly in love." And uh, he's never held your past against you. He's only held you close. So again, the lyrics are, he's never been mad at you. He's only, he's only been madly in love. And he's never held your past against you. He's only held you close. So rather than, you know, try to talk for him, I'm going to let the man talk for himself. So here he is, Tarn Wells talking about his song and talking about the lyrics and where all that came from. Instagram live. What up, fam? Just wanted to check in tonight and share something kind of wild, kind of crazy. I've had a lot of, you'd probably be surprised to know this, I've had a lot of people that have taken issue with my song crazy about you it's kind of crazy like good well-intentioned god-loving people uh even radio programmers won't play it uh because they feel like there's something wrong with the theology of the song crazy about you it's pretty pretty crazy and you know every Every radio programmer and uh, those individuals have tons of respect for them. Um, they do so much to serve the body of Christ. And I certainly understand that there has to be some type of filter through which we determine what songs get airplay and which songs don't. I totally get it. Um, what I think it did for me was push me to 
see if something that I had written was in theological error. Because I just, I don't want to be in that place. I want to honor God and I want to honor the scripture. And I certainly don't want to characterize God in a way that's unfaithful to the word. So I don't always uh, hate on my critics. Uh, I try to turn their criticisms inside out and see if there's anything of value that I can learn. Uh, and so it forced me to go a little bit deeper on some of the, the lyric of Crazy About You. There's a line in there that's caused a particular issue. And it is, he's never been mad at you. He's only been madly in love. So people have taken issue with that. Um, there's a line, he's never held your past against you. He's only held you close. People have taken issue with that. Um, saying that it's not scripturally sound, that uh, God can be mad and of course I agree uh, we are made in God's image and he embodies and expresses the whole gamut of emotions that we feel as humans you see it in the life of Jesus Jesus is the personification of God uh, he is the physical embodiment of God the God man so when I'm writing a song like crazy about you I'm really thinking about, you know, what Jesus did, what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus thinks about us, how Jesus responds to us, how Jesus responds to our sin, how Jesus responds to sinners. Uh, I know God is holy. He is other. He is different. Uh, there, He's in a category all of his own. Understand all of that. But I was reading something tonight, and I wasn't necessarily looking for this. I was just reading this book called Gentle and Lowly. And it's really dope. Um, I'm just into the very beginning of it. But I wanted to speak to the thought that my song Crazy About You could be in theological error. Insane. To the point at which people can't support it. Uh, which is saying something like that saying something when you think something's so wrong uh, on such a wild it, that's just wild but so I, I I was challenged by it so but I was reading this book gentle and lowly and the author I don't know anything about this author I need to look him up Dane Ortland um, made this incredible point and I wanted to share it with you because it, it was actually so encouraging to me he talks about how uh, there obviously have been volumes, millions of words written about Jesus, uh, talking about every aspect of him, uh, every part of who he is and what he's about and what he values and uh, what he did. We still know we, we can't even record all of the things that Jesus did for people. He did so much. But I love how he says that we find lengthy speeches um, about him, so many things to consider, and yet there is a particular place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. There's one specific place, Jesus himself, 
from his own words tells us about his own heart. And it's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, here it is, gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us an insight into his very heart. And he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle and lowly in heart. Pretty amazing that Jesus would say that. Now, of all of the things that we could say about Jesus, what would you say? If there was a if if you could describe Jesus in one word, what word would it be? How would you describe him? I think that's important. How we describe Jesus would kind of tell us how we relate to him, how we see him, which lenses that we view him through. But if we're going to look at Jesus through his own lens, and if we were going to believe him, truth, speaking of truth, absolute truth, speaking the absolute truth about absolute truth, he would say, if we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus on teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. He said, he's gentle and lowly. So I'm going to fast forward here and I'm just going to read you this little part. You can go look up what gentle and lowly means and what the heart implicates, the seat of emotions, like the deep inner man, the heart of Jesus is gentle and lowly. Oh yeah, he's like a flame of fire. His voice roars like many waters. He's sharp as a two-edged sword. His face is like the sun shining in its full strength. All of that is wonderful unbelievable splendor and majesty but the way he described himself that's how John saw him but the way he described himself was gentle and lowly so that has to tell us something so I just wanted to read this part of the book it's incredible it focuses on Matthew 14 14 it says and he had compassion on them so I'm just reading you from this book gentle and lowly and this is my response to my lyric that's been brought into question in my song, Crazy About You. Um, it says, he's never been mad at you. He's only been madly in love. And I just want to make sure I'm not in error. So I was just kind of looking at this. It says, what we see Jesus claim with his own words in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, we see him prove with his actions time and again in all four gospels. What he is, he does. He cannot act any other way. His life proves his heart. Quite a statement. When the leper says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus immediately stretches out his hand and touches him with the words, I will be clean. The word will in both the leper's request and in Jesus's answer is the Greek word for wish or desire. The leper was asking about Jesus's deepest desire, and Jesus revealed his deepest desire by healing him. 
When a group of men bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, Jesus cannot even wait for them to ask him what they want. When Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, their faith, the collective faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son. So that'll mess with your theology for everyone who says uh, that we are not God's children unless we're in a confessed relationship with him. That'll mess up your theology because Jesus messes up people's theology. <laughs> that was Jesus' whole ministry messing up people's theology. He says, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. So he called him son before he called him forgiven. Was Jesus angry at the paralyzed man? Well, you would say, well, of course not. He wasn't angry. He was paralyzed. This wasn't speaking of some reprobate sinner. Well, obviously he was a sinner because he forgave him of his sin. So he healed his spiritual condition before he healed his physical condition. So he called him son before he forgave him. Let that sit with your theology for a minute. Can you hold anger and forgiveness at the same time? I'm just asking the question. I'm just trying to see, could the line, he's never been mad at you, he's only been madly in, in love, be heresy could it be outside of what god would want people to understand about who he is i don't think so i think it's what he wants people to understand about who he is jesus calls the paralyzed man's son before he forgives him and then he heals him before they could open their mouths and ask jesus for help jesus couldn't stop himself words of reassurance and calm tumbled out traveling from town to town he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. So he teaches them and he heals their diseases. Simply seeing the helpless of, of the throngs, pity ignites. This compassion comes in waves over and over again in Christ's ministry, driving him to heal the sick and he had compassion on them and heal their sick, feed the hungry, had compassion on them, um, teach the crowds, having compassion on them, um, wipe away tears, uh, do not weep, Luke 7.13 says. The Greek word for compassion in the same is the same in all these texts and refers to literally the bowel or guts of a person of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up in one's innermost core. The compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ. So I'm just saying, does God hate sin? Yes. That's why he created a solution to save people from sin. He hates sin. He loves people. He had to create a solution to rescue people from their sin. Why? Because although he hates sin, he loves people. That, that's why it's crazy. And that's why I use the word crazy like to us, it is illogical. It does not make sense the way that Jesus operates. But beneath the anger and the wrath of God is the provision and the love of God, which drives him, compels him to sacrifice his one and only son for the redemption of humanity, you and I. So 
Twice in the Gospels we are told that Jesus broke down and wept, and neither, and in neither case is it sorrow for himself or his own pains. In both cases it is sorrow for another. In one case, Jerusalem, and in the other, his deceased friend Lazarus. What was his deepest deepest anguish? Oh my gosh, I can't talk. The anguish of others. What drew his heart out to the point of tears? The tears of others. Time and again, it is the morally disgusting, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving, who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. He is, by his enemy's testimony, the friend of sinners. Jesus loved sinners so much that people observing his life said, this dude is their friend. Can you be bitterly angry, mad at someone and other people observe your relationship and then be like, yo, they're great friends. It's crazy. <laughs> when we take the Gospels as a whole and consider the composite picture given to us of who Jesus is, what stands out most strongly? Yes, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament hopes and longings. Yes, he is one whose holiness causes even his friends to fall down in fear, aware of their sinfulness. Yes, he is a mighty teacher, one whose authority outstripped even that of the religious PhDs of the day. To diminish any of these is to step outside of vital historic orthodoxy. But the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the holy is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. That is wild. The Jesus given to us in the Gospels is not simply one who loves, but one who is love. Merciful affection streamed from his innermost heart as rays of sun. So, I'll uh, share more on this as I continue to read this book. But, man, it just kind of kills me a little bit to think that there are people who feel the idea that Jesus is illogically obsessed with the salvation of people um, that that would be wrong or offensive or out of the bounds of scripture it's just it's just wild to me let me keep reading a little bit of this but what about the harsher side of Jesus he writes J.I. Packer once wrote that a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. This is a especially sensitive point when we are talking about the Bible's revelation of Christ. The heresies of church history are not universally upside-down depictions of Jesus, but simply lopsided ones. 
the Christological nature, or excuse me, Christological um, controversies of the early centuries affirmed all basic Christian doctrine except one vital element. Sometimes the true humanity of Christ, sometimes his true deity. Are we in danger in talking of the heart of Christ, of neglecting his wrath? Extracting one side of Christ to neglect the other? Perhaps many of us, perhaps for many of us, the danger is subtler than outright heresy. We may be fully orthodox in our theology, but drawn for any number of reasons to one side of Jesus more than another. Some of us may have been raised in a rules-heavy environment that suffocated us with an endless sense of not measuring up. We are especially drawn to the grace and mercy of Christ. Others of us may have grown up in a chaotic free-for-all and the structure and order of a morally circumscribed life flowing from the commands of Christ may be especially attractive. Others of us have been deeply mistreated by those who should have been our protectors in life, and we long for the justice and retribution of heaven and hell to make right all things. As we zero in on the affectionate heart of Christ, how do we ensure that we are growing in a healthy understanding of the whole counsel of God and a comprehensive and therefore proportionate vision of who Christ is? Three com comments are needed here. First, the wrath of Christ and the mercy of Christ are not at odds with one another. Like a seesaw, one diminishing to the degree that the other is held up. That's so good. Rather, the two rise and fall together. The more robust one's felt understanding of the just wrath of Christ against all that is evil, both around us and within us, the more robust our felt understanding of his mercy. Second, in speaking specifically of the heart of Christ and the heart of God in the Old Testament, we are not really on the wrath-mercy spectrum anyway. His heart is his heart. When we speak of Christ's heart, we are not so much speaking of one attribute alongside others. We are asking who he most deeply is, what pours out of him most naturally. Third, we are simply seeking to follow the biblical witness in speaking of Christ's heart of affection towards sinners and sufferers. In other words, if there appears to be some sense of disproportion in the Bible's portrait of Christ, then let us be accordingly disproportionate. Better to be biblical than artificially balanced. And so, I would just say, oh, I love, I'm going to end it with this. This is speaking of crazy about you, is my line, um, he's never been mad at you, only been madly in love. In biblical error some people won't play this song on radio stations and some people have a biblical issue with it that's okay everyone gets to have their own perspective I don't know if I should be penalized for a particular viewpoint of scripture that emphasizes the love of God on a Christian radio format but that's neither here nor there um, this is how he's going to sum this up. It is impossible for the affectionate heart of Christ to be over-celebrated, made too much of, or exaggerated.
Wow. So, I just would rather be guilty of talking about how ridiculously in love Jesus is with people and letting the kindness of God draw people to repentance as the scripture says he does I want to use the tools Jesus uses at the epitome of human wickedness he says father forgive them for they know not what they do um that is just extraordinary kindness to me and for Jesus to look over at a sinner and for that sinner to look at Jesus and say, hey man, remember me. And Jesus is like, I'm going to remember you today. You're going to be with me in paradise. Was Jesus hanging up there mad at the thieves? Was he mad at the people crucifying him? I don't know. I think I would I think there would there needs to be more biblical weight and explanation given to Jesus being mad at people than I should have to share the weight of how much Jesus loves people. I feel like if someone has a case to prove, you would have to prove the burden of proof needs to be on, was Jesus on earth mad at sinners? Was he mad? I'm not saying were they wrong. I'm saying was he mad? <laughs> I'm saying when Jesus specifically went to the well to sit down with the woman who was in the middle of some type of adultery, fornication, um, having many husbands, many partners, did he sit down at the well that day mad? I'm, I'm asking. I know that he hates the sin. And I'm not even talking about hate the sin, love the sinner, that whole thing. That's a whole Christian colloquialism that we've created. But did he sit down on the well mad at her? I don't know. Because if he was like mad and offering her grace, I don't know if I've really gotten anywhere relationally with someone being angry at them. Like it doesn't build relationship. It's usually like tempers flare and then you come down to a more reasonable thing and you may be in disagreement, which Jesus was in disagreement with the woman at the well. She was talking about tradition and where people worshipped and all that. He's like, fam, what are we talking about right now? There's going to be a time when you worship me in spirit and in truth. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? So, I don't know. I just don't think he was mad. I think he's just. But I don't think he's mad. So, what do y'all think?
He's never been mad at you. He's only been madly in love. It's never been about what you do. It's always been about what he's done. Something you just can't hear now. Oh, he's crazy about you. Died so you didn't have to. There's the cross. Tore your failure apart. Now he wears your scars. So there's sin. Tore your failure apart. Now he wears your scars. So he was crucified on our behalf. That's how much he loves you. So Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice for the sin that we committed. Our failure to, to hit the mark. So it's not like I'm saying everybody's all good, believe whatever you want, and, you know, dap Jesus up on your way into the pearly gates. I don't think the song is saying that. But maybe that's just me. Hope this helps you. Um, just search it out for yourself. I'm not the authority the Bible is. And, uh... You know, you got to dig it out for yourself. Someone said, again, that's Torn Wells and the song Crazy About You. And just so many things that he said um so let the man speak for himself um I really don't have a whole lot to add to it um but one thing I will say is that um the, the big the big thing he said okay girl right right girl um the thing that I love, the thing that I love, the two, there's probably two things, um, that I, um, that I, that I got from what he said. One, there are so many sides to who Jesus is. So many sides. What's going on, Asha? Good to see you this morning, girl. Um, there's so many sides to Jesus. One side you know, there's, there's so many sides to him. And we as a people tend to lean toward one side of him or the other. We don't look at the totality of Jesus, the totality of Christ. And so when we see someone talking about a different aspect of him that we don't, that we don't, that we aren't either privy to or we don't vibe with a mesh with well, we tend to want to say y'all are being here you're being heretical or you're you're not looking at Jesus right or that sort of thing and so we 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 get we go into defense mode about it rather than you know searching the scriptures for ourselves to see if that's another side of who he is that we haven't paid attention to or that you know that we haven't been in favor of for this that or third reason second and more and even more important is that you know, the, the wrath of God, when we hear the word wrath, 
we are often thinking about anger. We don't think about justice. So when people ask the question, if God is so good, then why would he doom me to hell just because I don't believe in him? That doesn't sound very, that doesn't sound very loving to me. Our answer has been consistent. What loving God would force you to spend eternity with him when you don't want to spend time with him now? If he were to force us into having a relationship with him in, for all eternity, talking about forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, this is the song that doesn't end. Why, if he, if, he, if he loves us, why would he force us into a relationship like that? And so, you know, we often look at the justice of God as something of him being angry with us. But like the, like the, like the um, scripture said, you, are, you rarely find him being angry, Jesus himself being angry with people. He's angry with sin, but he loves people. When the when the Israelite nation, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Moses and them, when they, you know, incensed God, it wasn't because of them as people, it was about the sin. And he was eradicating sin. And in eradicating sin, those who are aligned against him have to face the wrath that comes from being sinful and having fallen away from the word of God. And so, you know, in his, in, and so although, although Tarn Wells, you know, he, he, he sides on the, he's air, he's erring on the side of the, the love and the mercy and the mercy and the, in the, in the, 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 the passion of Christ. He's also right in that, we have to look at the entirety of who Christ is, the entirety of who God is, and in doing so, be able to see all sides of him and not get so caught up in, well, you're not talking about the wrath of God, or, well, you know, you say that he's not mad with us, he's madly in love. Well, what about this and that? You know, it's one song. It's one song. The whole gospel of Jesus Christ can't fit in a song. When we talk, we just talked about this earlier, the depths of God, the multifacets of God, you can't fit it all in a single song. Torrin did a very good job of putting the gospel in the song, just like he said, you know, crucifixion's there, the wrath of, toward sin is there, dying for our sins is there. All those things are there if you know how to hear it, but you get hung up on one little lyric that now the whole song needs to be torpedoed when that one lyric isn't out of line with the scriptures because it's true. He's not mad with people. He's mad with sin. He's not mad about the people. He's mad about sin. And he defeated sin on the cross so that if we repent and believe, we don't stand to face the penalty of sin and death. But again, he's not going to make us choose him. So his 
So the, the wrath that's reserved for sin and for Satan, even though Satan wasn't even supposed to be a part of that, he cost himself that too, you know, you know, the, the wrath that, that we face, that sin faces, if we choose to align ourselves against God, we got to face that. And it looks like anger, but it's actual just it's actually just justice. Fair and balanced. It's the justice of God. And for a lot of us in, in, in the world that we live in today, we don't want we don't want the justice of God because it's it's too much. It's you you're not considering my feelings and blah blah man bye. God is not interested in our Enneagram types. He's not interested in our anxious attachment styles as much as he is about us being aligned with him or not. He can get into those spaces and work through those spaces, but he is less he is not interested in your feelings as as it pertains to whether or not that means he's going to change who he is to accommodate you. No, he's not changing who he is. He sympathizes with you. But he's not going to change up. But again, his anger is not toward us as people. He loves us. He is angry about sin and his, and his wrath toward sin. If you decide you want to revel in it, you got to pay the toll. And all of that is in Torn Wells' song. So it behooves us to have the ears to hear, the ears to hear what the Spirit of God is trying to say to us. And if we're hung up on a lyric, one little, uh, one little lyric, let us consider the whole counsel of God, that we not be caught in one facet of who Jesus is. Maybe in hearing the lyric, it gives you an opportunity to go and search the scriptures to see, is this true? Is this a sign of Jesus and it's biblically sounded? And yes, it is. And so again, um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that his song isn't getting the play that it ought to be getting on the radio stations because there's a whole lot of other songs that don't need to be played on the radio station, in my opinion, uh, with far worse lyrics on these Christian radio stations than that song. Um, but... Again, to each his own. What this the, well, again? What what is the kingdom worth? I'm grateful. I didn't even know about the song until the thing came up, and so now that song's on a playlist of mine. So, you know, it's doing the work. May not get on the the radio stations, but it's definitely on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, all them. So, you know, you know, they may not think they may think it's unbiblical, unbiblical, you know, for their radio stations. But the word is still getting out there through that song. And to God be the glory for that. Because that is the far greater reward. More than any money that he could be getting for, you know, for his song being played. The fact that he gets the word to somebody. The fact that he was able to minister to us through the through di dissecting his song is much more powerful than any, um, you know, popularity he could get from the song. So to God be the glory. Because again, it helped me learn something today for crying out loud. 
So we're grateful for the opportunity, grateful to him, and grateful that he, you know, had the courage to go to get on live and tell us about his song, so that way we could know what he's referring to and be able to make a, a own a, a make up our own minds about whether or not it's a song that we want to, you know, cherish along the other songs that we listen to in the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, so that we can be more like Christ every single day. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we thank you for the 6,400 likes that we've received thus far. Every like, every follow, every comment, every share. If you've missed any part of this message or would like to listen to past episodes, you can go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts right now and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show um, and listen to all of our episodes from inception to now. When we come back, we're going to talk about... Um, trying to seek perfection in relationships and what it means to be partnered with someone for life despite the problems or issues that may arise. Uh, again, thank you guys so much and we'll be right back in just a moment. the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly grateful for the 6,400 likes that we've received thus far and hope that you're having a fantastic day in the name of the Lord. I had a client that I was talking to a couple of days ago and we were talking about the fact that they have been bickering. Um, they're newlyweds and only been married for a couple of months, but they've been bickering back and forth over and over again. Just kind of constantly arguing over silly little stuff. Um, they had at this moment where they were at a um at a um at a work event and the lady was asked the, the the woman asked for a drink and the man 
went and got her a drink, and then she she got asked for another one. She had forgot her purse, so she wasn't able to get it for herself. Um, and so, you know, the, she asked for another drink, and he heard her say something that wasn't that. And rather than ask her to clarify, you know, he got in his feelings about it somehow, some way, got quiet, and then she got weird and then they ended up bickering over um over the dinner table it spilled over into the car and they're bickering in the car and now they're bringing it to therapy like i don't know why we keep bickering over stuff and i'm afraid that this may mean the end of our relationship because we keep bickering over little things you know i don't know what to do you know it seems like if we're going to bicker over little stuff now then what's going to happen when we have kids what's going to happen when we try to move what's going to happen if we get better jobs what's going to happen if you know in 20 years down the line or like are we going to keep bickering over these that and the third da, 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 da. and so they they spent 50 minutes talking to each other about this issue, talking to each other about this problem. What's up, Michigan? Um, spending all this time talking to each other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth about what this means for the relationship. Are we still together? You know, what does this mean for us? Should we have gotten married? Blah 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 blah. And so, at the end of their, their I'm sitting. I mean, I'm literally sitting there, not do, not saying a word. They are sitting there talking to each other for 50 whole minutes. Like I've never spent that much time in silence listening to two people talk and they it's like they did they forgot i was even there time they get to their the, the end of their spiel they asked me you know do i have any insight i told them yeah stop catastrophizing stop catastrophizing y'all are so worried that y'all relationship is in trouble that you enter into conversations thinking the worst case scenario before the conversations even began. Stop catastrophizing. Like, you're so afraid that you're going to say something that's going to make something pop off that you end up sabotaging your conversation by thinking that something's going to pop off. Chill the frig out. That's the issue. Y'all are so worried about, you know, making the other person mad or what this means for the relationship that you're trying to have a perfect marriage. That's not what marriage is. Marriage isn't perfect. Marriage is a lifetime pursuit. And every day is not going to be a great day. You can have, But you can have a lot of them, a lot of great days, but every day ain't going to be a great day. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have issues. You're going to have squabbles. But if you're entering into these conversations thinking you're, you're, it needs to be perfect, it needs to be perfect, it needs to be perfect, then every time a little mishap happens, you're going to catastrophize and think that it's the end of, the end of y'all's marriage. That's not, what it's, that's not what marriage is. It's not about living happily ever after the end. They never tell you what happily ever after is. They just, you just see them ride off into the sunset or kiss as the sun goes down or ride in the car saying I love you and you never see what happens after that. Happily ever after is not we are in bliss for the rest of our lives. Happily ever after is work. But it's a joyful pursuit. In so much that you're you're not trying you don't pick a partner so that you can have the perfect marriage. You pick your partner who you choose to do life with for the rest of your life. Life ain't perfect. Life is work. 
Life is trial. Life is tribulation. Life is joy. Life is sorrow. Life is happiness. Life is sadness. Life is triumph. Life is tragedy. All of these different things are a part of our lives. What makes us think marriage is going to be any different? So rather than entering into your marriage thinking that I'm going to have the perfect marriage, no, this is the partner that I've chosen to do life with. And we are going to do life together till death do us part. So stop catastrophizing. How many of us are so fixated on having things be perfect that we are not allowing ourselves to be true? How many of us are so afraid that we're gonna that we're gonna end up, you know, you know, arguing or bickering or fighting or whatever, that you're afraid to say how you really feel or to be who you really are? You're putting yourself in a box in order to make the marriage perfect or to, you know, keep peace in the home. So afraid of what may happen if you actually say how you feel about stuff. Or, you know, ask, you know, clarifying questions about things in an attempt to have a greater understanding. We are so afraid of stepping over a line or over some tripwire that we end up tripping the wire anyway by our lack of expression. We want everything to stay so pristine and neat. It's like having a clean kitchen and you're hungry for a meal but you're so afraid of messing the kitchen up that you won't eat. So what you gonna do? Starve? A dish gotta get messed up at some point. A crumb got to fall somewhere at some point. It's like needing a bath but you're so afraid of messing up the bathtub because you don't want to have to clean the bathtub that you're just going to end up stinking. In life, things happen. We, 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 gotta, we gotta live. And in the living, we learn how to live together. We learn how to be our best selves together. And sometimes it causes conflicts. Sometimes it causes issues. Sometimes it causes problems. This lady was saying, you know, I've told you repeatedly that it's that you know it, it that you know when you drive the way that you drive, it scares me. But it seems you just don't listen to me. So I just feel like you know I just feel like I can't trust you with anything. You letting the fact that this man drives how he drives and he's been driving his way his whole life, you gonna let that determine whether or not you can trust him? The math ain't mathing on that. He's been driving this way since he was 16. Now, yeah, he can try to make some adjustments, but you're asking him to change overnight and talking about, well, you didn't change, so I don't know if I can trust you because he ain't because he drives different than you. So you can't trust him with anything because of his driving habits. We as the people of God, we have to give grace to our people and allow them to be their best selves. 
If there is something of substance that needs to change, let us talk about those things. But let us not catastrophize those things internally to a point where we start saying absolutes. Saying absolutes of, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I can't trust you now because you drive weird. Really, dude? Really? So that was part of the litmus test of how to figure out if I can date. Like, I gotta have a, I gotta, I gotta drive like a snail in order for us to be together. That's what you're saying. And so again, we as the people of God, we have to give grace to people. Give grace to our spouses to be their best selves. Talk about the issues that we that we have, but talk about them in a way, you know, not to where we're catastrophizing. Now again, if your partner ain't trying to do no work, then it might lead to some catastrophizing that need that needs to happen at some point. But you catastrophizing over you know, well, if I if I try to clarify what she asked, then it might lead to an argument. And then if that leads to an argument, then we're going to end up fighting. So I'm going to just be quiet. Only to then have the same issue happen. You self-sabotage by not speaking. And so again, we got to be careful that we're not looking for perfection in our relationships. Relationships are meant to be perfect. Relationships are meant to be true. Relationships are not meant to be perfect. They're meant to be true. We don't pick perfect spouses. We commit ourselves to people and say, I want to do life with this person. This person is perfect for me. With imperfections and all. This person is perfect for me to now share and do life with from now to eternity. If you find yourself in a place where you're catastrophizing, every time, you know, the slightest little hiccup happens, you're taking it to the, to the extreme. Ask yourself the question, why are you doing that? Who hurt you to where every time a problem occurs, you're thinking worst case scenario. You're thinking doomsday. You're thinking we're not going to make it. Every time a situation occurs, you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to start no trouble, so I'm going to just keep my mouth shut. Who hurt you? Who hurt you? And can you take that to the altar and have that slain by the holy God that we serve so that you're no longer living in that fear? It's like I tell a lot of my clients, a lot of us live in a perpetual state of fear. And again, I'm not if you're in that situation right now, is I'm not talking to you. You get out. Um, but a lot of us have been in past situations and past relationships and past issues. And we're still reliving those things in our present relationships that have no bearing or weight on, you know, on or, or on what happened to us in the past. 
And so we owe it to ourselves to make peace with the past so that we don't treat our present people like past people. I told one client the other day, you treat your wife like she is your exes. She's not your exes. And then I turned right around and told her, you're treating your husband like he's your exes. And he's not your exes. Stop that. Make peace with the past so that you no longer treat your ex, your, your spouses like your exes. Y'all are not there anymore. You know, make peace with the past so you can move forward and move on. I had a guy I was talking to a while ago. I, 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 I can tell he's doing good because that's all it took. He said that, um, you know, he wouldn't um, give his wife access to his bank accounts because the last two people that he was with wiped them clean of his bank accounts. I said, I get that. Understand that. That's some real, some real pain that you're feeling. But she, your current person, is not that. She's not that person. So you can't judge her off of what they did. You're going to lose your relationship because you won't give her, you know, the ability to be able to pay bills. You're going to lose your person because you won't allow her to see how much money y'all got so that she can make some decisions about what she wants to do with, um, with y'all's life. To ease some of the burden off of you. She wants to help you. She don't want your money. She wants to help you. Help you help us. Us. But you, you, you're robbing her of that because you're treating her like your exes. You got to make peace with that. You got to get over that. You got to get past that. Otherwise, you're going to lose her. And he came back to me the other the, the, uh, the, the, follow, the following two weeks and was like, man, you're 100% right. I talked to her. I told her, you know, we're going to set up a joint account and I'm going to give her all access to it. And, you know, it's gonna, I'm going to have a separate account for me, a separate account for her for us to put money in. We're going to have, uh, you know, be able to see, you know, how much we're putting in and stuff. And he, she was like, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. I just want, I want, I want, I want to know that you can trust me. And he said, I'm willing, I'm willing to try because I love you and I want to stay with you. That is doing life together. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. You're going to have situations. You're going to have circumstances. My wife and I tell you, we went through a trial, some, some four years of some trials and tribulations. But we chose to do life together. Even as we were contemplating put, put bringing things to an end, we chose to do life together. We're going to figure this out. And sure enough, by the grace, mercy, love, and favor of God, we figured it out. Marriage isn't meant to be perfect. It's meant to be true. It's meant to be authentic. It's not meant to be perfect. We don't live in a perfect world. We live in a broken world where broken things happen all the time. But it doesn't mean that those broken things have to mean the end of the relationship, depending upon what that broken thing is. Because, again, there's some circumstances where... Might need to, you know, but again, should we do, we do life together. If we, if life ain't perfect, what makes us think, what makes us think that our marriages will be, they're not going to be perfect, but we have chosen to do life with a person 
And so we lean on the mighty hand of God to help us in the time of need to stay true in our relationships, stay true in our marriages, and enjoy one another as we enjoy the love that God has given us through the marriages that we have. So if you find yourself in a place where you're, you know, so scared that your relationships come to an end because of the constant bickering or things of that nature, ask yourself the question, what are we bickering for? How can I prevent the bickering? And, you know, am I catastrophizing? Because if I'm catastrophizing, nine times out of ten, you know, every time a bicker a bicker happens, we're gonna be thinking relationships over, and it ain't gotta be over. You may just need to get over yourself. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. With you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for the 6,900 likes that we've received thus far. Um, if you've seen some of the jumps and the glitches, I do I do apologize for the technical difficulties. Um, but if you've missed any part of this message or would like to listen to past episodes, you can go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts right now and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast. Listen to every episode from inception to now. We certainly thank you, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Tyreek Hill and how he has um, given um, the rest of a set of salary to um, a person who was suspended by the NFL for um, for um, taking a for take for allowing him to take his camera um, and do a backflip in the end zone. Uh, so we'll be talking about that in just a moment. Thank you for watching the True Gospel Morning Show. We will be right back.
You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. In our praiseworthy segment, we are celebrating Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, um, um, the wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins, um, um, uh, gave the remainder of a salary to an NFL photographer after the photographer was suspended by the NFL for allowing Tyreek Hill to take his camera and do a backflip in the end zone. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, well, actually, rather, I'm going to let them talk about it themselves um, and how that all went down. for the rest of the NFL season at 20 years old. As a junior in high school, I started filming videos for our school's basketball team. At just 17 years old, I learned the skill of social media networking and was able to create opportunities to work with star players like Tyree Kill, Saquon Barkley, Antonio Brown, and many others. I'm a student at the University of Miami, and when Tyree got traded to the Dolphins, we instantly reunited and began working together. In 2022, I applied for a job at the NFL, and they hired me to work at all Miami Dolphins home games. I had one of the greatest years of my life, working side-by-side side with one of my best friends, watching him take over the league on his new team. In week six of the season, Tyreek scored a touchdown in the exact same corner of the end zone that I was filming in. He noticed me and surprised me by grabbing my phone and doing a backflip. It was the coolest moment ever, and I ran into the tunnel to send the clip to the NFL. Tyreek got a penalty for the celebration and was immediately asked about it after the game. You know, I seen the camera, and I just took it from him. And he didn't want me to take it from him, so that's my boy K-Fizz, man. The NFL then let me know that I would be suspended for the... for the remainder of the season, and possibly for good. They said regardless if I knew the celebration was coming or not, I still had to be disciplined, and that I shouldn't have jumped on the sidelines after the play. One of the best moments of my life turned upside down in a matter of seconds. I get why the NFL had to make this decision, and wish I could have done something to prevent it, but I'm thankful for the memory that Tyree gave me. This was the greatest job in the world, and I never took a day for granted. I can't thank the NFL enough for the opportunity. Whether it's back with the NFL, or starting a new sport, I just hope to get another chance at doing what I love. Tyreek Hill um, said, I told him, don't let this get to you. Just hold your head up. You're still young. Continue to do what you love. Me and him are going to continue to work together. I told him I was going to cover his salary, whatever the NFL was going to pay him or whatever. I told him I was going to make sure that I do what's right and take care of you. Make sure you're not out of a job. That's my guy. So, don't know the details as to why they felt, or why the NFL had to do what they did. Um, but at the end of the day, they did what they did. They suspended him. Um, don't know when he's going to get back out there and be, t and be taking, um, you know, photos and things like that again. And, um, but at the end of the day, Tyreek Hill, you know, decided... You know, I'm not going to let him, you know, be penalized monetarily for me, for what I did. Like, it wasn't like it, it was his fault. It's not like he, you know, said, here, take my phone or anything like that. I took the phone from him, and it became a moment. You know, it was all, it was, it was all on me. Um, and he owned it. He owned it that day. 
Um, and so for the NFL to then suspend him for it, you know, I feel like it's uncalled for. But again, I don't know what the rules are in that regard or anything of that nature. And so, you know, it is what it is. Um, nevertheless, um, you know, I'm grateful that Tyreek Hill thought it not robbery to give him the re the rest of his salary. You know, obviously, Hill's making millions of dollars, but it's still the gesture and kindness of his heart to see his to see someone that he you know um, you know looked up to and admired himself. Um, you know that he would be willing to step into that fray for him to ensure that he's able to still you know make ends meet you know pay pay his bills all that type of stuff and so you know no telling what the future holds for him but we thank god for people like tyreek hill who saw a need and met the need and so as i'm always saying a lot of us want to get on our celebrities and want to get on our athletes and get on our entertainers and, um, and, and feel like, you know, they're so, you know, high and mighty that they never want to help the little man. But it's moments like this that remind us that there are some good people in the world that are doing great things in the world if we just know how to look. And so, again, we thank God for the example that Tyreek Hill um, displayed by showing us that if we, that if we, if we can step in the gap for somebody... Don't hesitate to do it because, again, he didn't have to give him anything. He, he didn't have to, you know, take care of him. He didn't have to, you know, you know, try to, you know, be there for that brother or anything like that. But instead, he stepped into that fray. He stepped into that space and said, let me meet that need. Let me meet that need. And so, again, we thank God and we celebrate and we champion Tyreek Hill on today as our something praiseworthy um, because, again, it reminds us that there are some good people in the world. There are some great people in the world that see the need. And when they see the need, they're willing to meet the need. And so we can look to his example as, again, we follow Christ's example and be there for people when, if we can, when we can, however we can. Um, that we look that we look outside of our prejudices and our frustrations and our issues and our problems. We see a need and we meet the need because we got to remember we're not meeting the need for our sake. We're not meeting the need for people's sake. We're meeting the need for God's sake. So can we step outside of our anger, our frustration, our issues, our prejudices, our problems, our um our biases, our um our uh, stinginess? And say, let me meet this need. I see the need. Let me meet the need. Because Christ did the same thing for us when he got on the cross and died. He saw that we were in need of salvation. In need of reconciliation. In need of heart transformation. And he got on the cross and died for us. Didn't have to do it, but he did it. And in doing so, he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So how much more... Can should we step into the fray and say, I'm meeting this need for the sake of Jesus. I'm meeting this need because uh, I'm meeting this need for the sake of the kingdom. I'm meeting this need for the sake of my brother and my sister so that they can be blessed or they can be healed or they can be transformed in some type of way um, through the example that we give. Let our light shine before others that they may see our good work and glorify God who is in heaven. 
So again, we thank God for Tyreek Hill, for helping out Kevin Fitz, Fitz um, Gibbons, and we and we and we celebrate that as our something praiseworthy on today. Um, I saw that there was a question in the chat box, and so in the for these last two minutes, I'm going to answer that question really quickly if it's still there. Um, where it's at. Someone asked the question, why do we sing? Live the hands of Jesus. There it is. The question was, what is life worth? Everything, man. What is life worth? It's worth everything. It's worth everything. You know? It's worth everything. It's really that simple. I, I, I don't have anything else. Life is worth everything. You know, life is worth so much that Christ died so that we would live. It's worth the blood of Jesus on the cross. It's worth him descending into hell, defeating hell and, bring, and, 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 and snatching the keys and then rising again. It's worth everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through the world, that through him the world might be saved. It's worth everything. It's worth his blood on the cross. And if you can believe that, then you can have everlasting life. Life now and life eternal. John 3.16, baby. John 3.16. That's a good question. What is life worth? It is worth everything. I want to thank you guys so much for the 7,000 likes that we received today. I want to thank you so much for your likes, your comments, your follows, your shares. I want to thank you for spending a little bit of time of your morning with your boy right here on TikTok Live. We'll be right back here tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. to give you more of this good gospel truth here on the True Gospel Morning Show. As always, if you can't see the good, be the good. I love you guys. Peace out, homies.